to happen. We're in this series, though, called Perfect Peace. Let me kind of jump in now. It's part four of this series of Perfect Peace. This is going to lead us all the way into Christmas Sunday, and I invited you on this journey several weeks ago that we would just go on this journey together to maybe restore peace or to get access to God's peace, and, and that there is a lot of things that we need to discuss to get it. There's some things that we need to kind of reveal and need to uncover and need to kind of go back to and address if we really want to walk in God's perfect peace. So if you miss any of these, you can go back and check them out. But we're on the fourth installment today. Let me read our theme verse, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. And, and the Lord told me to read this every week, you guys, this theme verse. Here's what I envision. This is happening. And I believe it's happening for some of you, that every time I'm speaking this word, little by little, God is chipping away at the things that are causing you to stress. The things that are robbing you of peace, that little by little you're believing and trusting and taking steps. Here's what his word says. You will keep in perfect peace all who, what? Who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. So if I'm not trusting in God, will I have his peace? No, that's If I'm not trusting in God, then I can't actually proclaim this verse as much as I want it, as much as I desire it. If I'm not putting my trust, if my trust is in something else, someone else, somewhere else, then I, as much as I desire peace, I can't access the perfect peace of God because I didn't put my trust in the right place. If I'm not trusting in God, what am I putting my trust in? John chapter 14, verse 27 Jesus tells us, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and peace of heart. And then he says this, that the peace that I give, Jesus speaking here, the peace that I give is a, a gift the world cannot give. So there's, the world cannot give you this perfect peace. It can't give you the peace that we've been, we've been studying and looking at, a peace that is not circumstantial. It's not a peace that's dependent upon what happens at your job. It's not a piece that de- depends on what your kids are doing or what your boyfriend is doing or your girlfriend or your, your child. It's just like, it's not that kind of piece. It's not dependent upon anyone or anything that this piece that the world cannot give is a piece of mind, a piece of heart. It's an internal piece that is not connected to, dependent or reliant upon anything of this world. So he says, so do not be troubled or afraid. We put our trust in things oftentimes, oftentimes that cannot reciprocate. We put our trust in the things of this world that Jesus says cannot actually reciprocate anything back to you. And you put your trust in these things and, or these people or, or in circumstances, you're hoping for things. That, and when they don't happen, it's like they don't reciprocate. Like they can't give you hope. They can't give you fulfillment. They can't give you satisfaction. These things of the world cannot give you perfect peace. So here's the reality. You don't have this peace. Listen to me, please. You don't have this peace because you're not choosing this peace. You've exchanged peace for a lesser promise. So when we don't have God's perfect peace, it's because I actually chased after something else. I exchanged what God made available to me for a lesser promise. This message today is for anyone who has lost peace. You may not even know where or how, but you just know you don't have it. Or, or, or at least this, this peace that is promised, this kind of peace, this perfect peace. How do you come back to that place of peace? How do I come back to peace? How do I restore the peace in my 
life. This message is for anyone that lost it. Don't even maybe know where or how. First um, Samuel chapter 8. I was studying this and the Lord was showing me some revelation through his word. I want to share it with you this morning. First Samuel chapter 8. Um, it's a time in Israel's history where they have um, inherited the promised land, but they've already gone through a few of their great kings. The kings that you probably know, a lot of you know. You know, King Saul was the first king. I don't think a lot of you would know that. Then the, the next king was, you know, David, and David becomes king. And, and some of you probably even know the third king. You probably even know that one, David, like the next one, which is, ah, so one person. Okay, thank you, Jesus. One of you guys know you're right. No, I'm just kidding. The next one is Solomon, right? David, David's son. But then beyond that, it gets really blurry, right? We get into first and second kings and first and second chronicles, and there's all these like lists of these, these kings. Well, well, the, that list of kings and the division of like Judah and Israel and the and turmoil all over this promised land that they were supposed to, you know, walk in God's provision and abundance and his peace started happening right here in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4 through 7. Look what it says. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, who was a prophet at that time at Ramah. They said to him, you're old and you're, isn't that nice? Isn't that nice how they're coming at him? You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> you're old, bud. <laughs> we got we to gotta figure something out, okay? He said, you're old and your sons don't even follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us. Now at this time, let me back up because at this time, Solomon, David, Saul, none of them have even been king yet. They've actually been ruled by God and God alone. So here they are. He says, you're old. Your sons don't even follow your ways. We want a king to lead us such as the other nations have. So now they're looking in comparison to all the nations around them. And they're going, wait a second. Everybody else has a king. The Philistines have a king. The Midianites have a king. The Perizzites have a king. All these people have like kings. And we're like, we're without a king and you're getting a little bit old and your, your sons are crazy and we don't like them. And so why don't you install a king for us? But when they said, look what it says, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected. But watch this. But they have rejected me as their king. Do you see the exchange that they made? See, they, they made an exchange, but they didn't even know they were making the exchange. They, they, nowhere in, in this whole encounter that these people, these elders are having with Samuel, that they understood that they were exchanging God, Yahweh, for a lesser promise, a king. In fact, right after this, if you go read it, Samuel goes on to tell him, like, what's going to happen? Are you sure you guys want a king? Because this is what the king's going to do. He's going to, you know, enslave you. He's going to take your money. He's going to take your best cattle. He's going to take your best sons and put them to war. He's going to take all the prettiest girls, and he's going to put them in his house and give them to his sons and stuff. Are you sure you, you want this king? Nowhere in the whole discourse did Samuel ever tell them, hey, guys, what you're actually doing is rejecting God as your king, you're dethroning him and you're trying to look to another. You're exchanging the peace and the promise that God gave you for a lesser promise. Nowhere in there did it actually was so clear. And it's much like our exchanges that we make with, with the, the things that we chase and we exchange our peace. I wish, I wish that, that it was that clear. I wish that, that before you took that promotion that God would have been like, do you know what you're exchanging it for? 
Like before you actually decided to move out of the house, that, that, that God would go, but wait a second, I, do you know what you're exchanging this for? That before you, you ran and, and, and chased something that you looked around, you said, oh, but that, but they have this and they have that, that it would be so clear that God would go, well, but wait, do you understand the exchange you're making? I wish it was that clear, but it's not. And I have a feeling that a lot of us here have the peace of God is gone. And maybe it comes in moments like this where you're around his presence of peace. But throughout your life, you just know there's something missing. And I have a feeling, I got a feeling, this is a word for some of you. I have a feeling that some of you don't know where you exchanged it. Some of you don't know where you just, where you traded for a lesser promise or a lesser king. 1 Samuel chapter 8 continues in verse 19. Samuel tries to dissuade them from making this disastrous decision. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like, look, this is what we want to be like. We want to be like everybody else. I want, I want to look like them. I want, their kind, I want their happiness. They look happy on Instagram. I want their house. It looks like a good house. I want that. Why can't I have that? I want that job. I want, I, want, I want to be like the world around us and not the promise you've given us. We want to be like the other nations with a king to lead us. Oh, but look what he says. They said, with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. Since when did you need the protection of a king in battle, Israel. We just sang this song this morning. This is how I fight my battles. That every battle that they have ever gone up against, it was God who went before them. It was God who slayed their enemy. They actually led the battle with like praise and worship and instruments because it was a sign of God going before them. And, and here they are not even realizing the exchange they're making. They forgot even how they fought their battles, that God defeated their enemies. So this was a, a change of, of history, the course of this, the promised people, these Israelites, that they, they had God as king for so long, and now they start to install their own king, starting with Saul and so on. But for 208 years, 208 years, um, Throughout, you can read in your Bible, First, Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Beautiful stories in there. So we get Elisha and Elisha and amazing stories. Go read your Bible. It's amazing, you guys. But inside of these four books, it accounts these different kings in Israel and in Judah. 208 years. Only five of these kings actually brought peace to the empire. I think it's, what is that, 33? 33 of them brought hostility, brought war. Chaos. I want you to think about this with me for just, for just a moment, you guys, because it's the same land that they're ruling. It's the same people that they're ruling. They got the same temple. They got the same worship. They got the same law. They got the same covenant. They got the same resources. They got the same enemies. Yet some people were able to produce peace from it, and others were able only to produce chaos and hostility. Why is it, why is it, we're living in the same city, you're in the same income bracket, 
You, you got the same, you sit in the same services. You listen to the same sermon. You have the same worship songs, but some of you walk in peace and some of you walk in hostility. Why is it? What, what's, the, what's the difference here? It's gotta be bigger than circumstantial. What is the, the difference that we can learn from this? Because, because these five good kings, they're called good kings, that brought peace and prosperity back. They actually, I'm gonna show you something. I'm gonna show you something that they actually, every one of them did the same thing to actually restore peace. And I'm gonna show you how. I'm gonna show you how today that if you've lost peace or maybe in seasons where you don't have peace, you can restore it again. And these, every one of these kings, they show us how to restore peace. Every now and then, like I actually get asked often, like, like uh, they'll tell me something like this. People go, how? pastor like why why are you so happy like how are you so like is it serious and and i mean, let me honestly i go through stuff okay i do like my, my marriage goes through stuff my kids go through stuff i'm living in the same world that you're in so i'm not always on like some amazing high but here's something i do i choose joy you can choose joy you can choose peace i'm not going to exchange the joy that God has given me, the promises he has given me, the peace he has given me for any lesser promise this world has to offer. So, so I'm gonna, I wanna show you how you can do that. But first, I kinda wanna look at these, uh, these kings. As I was studying these kings in these four chapters of the Bible, what I did, because I want us to learn from them. They say if you don't learn from your history, you're doomed to repeat it, right? If you don't, so, so as I was studying these, these kings, uh, the bad ones, the good ones, the ones who brought hostility, the ones who brought peace, I categorized them into four types. And I want to show you the, the four types of kings because check this out. As much as you want peace, you desire peace. You want peace like in your heart, in your mind, in your marriage, in your family, with your kids. You want it. You, listen, you will not be a person of peace if you have the characteristics of any of these kings. So your home won't be characterized of it. Your, your, your life won't be characterized. So what I have, I got three. The first three are the bad kings, man. This is what you don't want. The last one is like the, the good kings. So let's just glean from this, and then I'm gonna show you how, how to restore peace. But I wanna learn from these kings that we actually have in the Bible. So write these down for me, guys. The first type of king is the punisher. The punisher. Uh, most of the bad kings were, were punishers. They were outwardly and openly oppressive and, and domineering. They believe that punishment is the way to correct people or to get what they want. Anyone lived in a home where mom and dad used punishment to get you to behave, get you to do, you know, and some of you are like, well, what's wrong with that? You know, everyone needs a little punishment every now and then. Let me get them some, everybody. And I agree with you, but hold on for a moment because the Bible says God disciplines those he loves, not punishes those he loves. So there's a difference, there's a difference when I'm saying a punisher and, and someone who is actually openly oppressive and dominating. Many of us grew up in, in these environments where punishment was used to control wrong or hurtful behavior. So we learned that when we messed up, people would get angry and what they would do is withhold love. With the, and they would find ways to hold that over our head in some ways to get us to stop doing that or to never do that again. Let me give you an example. How many of you guys ever grew up in, maybe in your home when one of your parents ever said this? Emphatically, they said, go to your room. Anyone? Anyone? How many of you ever told your kids, go to your room? Now again, there ain't nothing wrong with you saying go to your room to your kids. But, but, but the motivation 
of why. Like when I was a kid, like I don't send, Pastor Veronica and I, we don't send our kids to their room because their room is a playland, okay? This is not, this is not punishment. Go to your room. When we punish our kids, it's like you're staying in the living room with us. You're out here and you're going to talk with us and hang out. We're going to play a game. Yeah, we're getting out Monopoly. Yeah, you're going to eat at the table and you stay until I'm done. And so these are the kind of, so there's a difference, right? Because I'm not sending them to their, so and when you, so there's a difference, right? Of, of when, when I was a kid and, and my mom was like, go to your room, this is what it felt like. It felt like she was saying, get away from me. I can't even be around you right now. I can't be around you right now. I need some peace. I need some quiet. I need you to you're, you're, get away. And this was the, and not only by go to your room, by a lot of the things that I experienced, a withholding of love or punishment for wrongdoing. That's not how God responds to us. He doesn't say, get away from me. I need some distance from you right now. No, the discipline God gives is not punishment. See, th- this is why. Punishment comes from fear and control. But peace comes from love and freedom. And I'm not saying there's not a time for you to actually give correction to your children or God won't correct you, but his correction is always moving towards us in love. Punishment is driven by fear and control and creates fragile relationships where the trust is really low and the anxiety is really high. Sons and daughters of God, though, are not driven by fear and control, but by love and freedom. And we respond to wrong and hurts with truth with humility, with forgiveness, with vulnerability rather than punishment. Love always seeks to heal the connection after it's been damaged, not to continue to sever the connection. So listen, some of you, you want peace, but the reason why you will never have God's perfect peace is because you're a punisher. You punish people for the wrong that they do. Instead of actually operating by love and freedom, you try to control the people around you with fear and punishment. Are you with me today? You got, I'm just trying to help you guys out to see how these kings, how they operated, and how I know you want it, but you don't know the exchange you're making. You just don't know. You desire God's peace, but you just don't know when you actually punish that way and use fear and control to get your way that, that you're actually making an exchange that I don't think that you're understanding you're making. And you're not going to have God's perfect peace. Here's the second type. And it's the diminisher. You got the punisher, the diminisher, those, the, the, the diminisher, like the, the punisher is outwardly oppressive. The diminisher is more inwardly oppressive. They, they believe that people aren't capable. They're not trustworthy. Therefore, they, everything kind of relies on them. So the punisher uses fear and control. The diminisher is like internal. It, the diminisher attacks your confidence, your abilities, your intelligence, your, your security, a, a, a good example of this person is, the, is Jezebel, who was actually the queen um, of you know, King Ahab. Uh, but if you remember in, in, in the Bible, she threatens Elijah, Elisha, sends him a message, threatens him, and causes Elijah to doubt. He just came off of like an amazing mountaintop experience where he had fire, rain from heaven, but just one interaction from this diminisher tyrant that he questions his own abilities, he, he, his confidence, his God, he starts to measure his situation, not according to God's ability, not even according to reality. He starts to take on the viewpoint of his diminisher, Jezebel, and he runs runs and flees and goes through a, a dr- dramatic depression and fear because of a diminisher in his life. And some of us, we, we try to control people not by oppressive and domineering, but through 
manipulation and through emotional tactics. And you don't know what you're exchanging. I know that, that it looks like you're going to get your way by, and, and, and by being a diminisher, but you don't know what the exchange you're making by being a punisher, by being a diminisher. The third type of these, these bad kings and, is the martyr. And I'm not talking about the good martyr, like, oh, they died, and they're like a martyr now. No, I'm talking, write down somewhere, a victim spirit. That's what I'm talking about. Someone who has a victim mentality. Here's some ways you can spot a victim spirit. The victim spirit is heard in how we kind of speak. They usually take every opportunity to share about their troubles and their negativity with others. The victim spirit is extremely self-centered. They'll, they'll rarely ask, if ever, ask anything about anyone else, like about you. You can sit with these people for a couple hours of talking. It'll never occur to them to ask you how you're doing, okay? The victim spirit is self-absorbed. They'll complain about everything that happens to them without owning any part of it. Nothing is their fault. The, fault. The, the victim spirit will cause them to hold onto every injustice, every hurt, every pain, and, and refuse to let it go. King Saul was a great example of this victim spirit. King Saul had the kingdom ripped away from him in this incident. He actually, Samuel the prophet, told him like, hey, don't, don't, you got to wait for me. I'm going to make a sacrifice to the Lord before you go fight the Philistines. And, and, and Samuel, um, or, or Saul, King Saul, is, is waiting for the prophet Samuel to come. And, and he's, he's, he's taking a long time, at least to his perspective. He does it himself. He, he, he does the priestly duty, sacrifices uh, the, the animal on the altar, lights the, the fire, and, and Samuel comes just right after that and says, look, what you've done is evil. You've stepped out of bounds. And Samuel, or, uh, um, uh, King, King Saul, he like plays this victim mentality. He, he takes no ownership. He's like, no, 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 you were late. And it was, it was your fault because you're late and I had to. And the people were grumbling. The Philistines were coming. And it's like everybody else's fault that I had to actually do this. And if you have this victim spirit, you're never going to have peace. You'll never have God's perfect peace. Here's the fourth type of leader really quickly because I want to get into how to restore it is uh, the fourth type of king is the leader. The leader, the true leader, those who believe they are responsible and take action to improve their life and the lives of others. Some of the kings, all of them might have been kings, but not a, there were only few that were leaders. Um, Jehoshaphat was one of those leaders. Second Chronicles chapter 17, it says, Jehoshaphat, his son, succeeded him as king and strengthened himself against Israel. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father David before him. He did not consult the Baals, which was the, the false idols and gods they would worship constantly, but he sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. The power of influence is so strong, you guys. When a good king was in charge, the whole country did better. But, but even more interesting, the lands around them did better. Look what it says in verse 10. And the fear of the Lord fell upon kingdoms, all the kingdoms of the land that were around Judah, and they made no war against Jehoshaphat. Like not only did, did they prosper, but because of, of God's blessing on their life, their peace, like they caused peace in the land all around them. They, the other land started to prosper. They started to fear the Lord. Church, our communities ought to be better places because we're in it. 
follower of Jesus, Christian, like your friends, the people around you, they should be better because of your influence. Like, here, ask yourself this question. Uh, are you the kind of person who is just easier to be good around? To make good decisions around? I mean, that's the kind of people that we should be, people of peace. God needs people of influence and positions of leadership. Where there was a good king, the whole country did well. There was only like five of them over 200 years, but all of them practiced the same method of restoring peace. Same people, same land, same law, same church, same income, like everything, everything. but they were able to influence peace. How do they do it? Let me give you the recipe that all these kings use, four things that if you want to find peace, if you've lost it, if you want to get back to this place of peace in your life, these kings did four things. Write them down. Number one, remove every form of idolatry from your life. This was the first thing that these kings did. Idolatry is not just worshiping a statue, though. It's putting anything in your life above God. Now, on the surface, it may not look like that's the struggle here that with your peace and with the exchange you've made, but it is, in fact, the struggle. You might say, I struggle with being anxious and worried, but why is that? Well, maybe you made control and security your God. If you're losing your battle with lust, maybe it's because sex is your God. If you struggle with legalism, maybe religious rules are your false God. Maybe if, you, if you're discontent, maybe money is your God. If you lack self-control, maybe pleasure has become your God. Look, every, underneath every sin is a false God sitting on the throne of our heart. And until, and until that, that, is, that false God is dethroned, you will never have peace. Are you hearing me, church? Are you guys with me this morning? Second Chronicles chapter 14, look what it says of this king who, who followed this example. And Abijah rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. Asa, his son, succeeded him as king. And in his days, the country was what? At peace for 10 years. Look what he did. Asa did what was good and the right and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. His first thing he did, his first act, and every king did this. He removed the foreign altars, the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. See, an idol is anything that takes the focus off God and puts it on something else. When, when anything is first in my life, that is not God. Even if it's good, it's an idol. Good things you can make. You can make your spouse your idol, which God has intended to be a blessing and a, and a help and a, to you. Your kids are a blessing to you, but your kids can become an idol. Anything that takes that place of God. You know why we kind of turn our hearts toward idols? Because it's hard sometimes to put our hope in God. Because when we do, when we do that, we're releasing control. We're releasing the control of our lives, but when we put our hope in things, it brings us a sense of control that we can still manipulate it. See, when you have an idol, the worshiper has more control than the thing being worshiped. And a lot of people want a God they can manipulate. It's interesting. Archaeologists, or archaeologists uh, tells in every culture throughout all history, they find humanity has idols. All throughout human history, we have this human nature, like, like we have this bent to like create, to make objects and people 
gods, to turn them into gods and to worship things we can manipulate. Here's a few reasons why you need to dethrone the idols in your life. Number one, idols will disappoint you. They're going to disappoint you. They always promise more than they can deliver. On TV, it says, wear our label and you're going to be popular. Buy our product and you're going to be successful. Drink our beer and it doesn't get any better than this. Buy our toothpaste and you're going to have, you know, you're going to be more sexy, you know. You're going to have sex appeal. It always promises more than it can deliver. Jeremiah 10, 14. Those who make idols are disillusioned because the gods they make are false and lifeless. Have you ever ordered something online or when you're scrolling on like Instagram and you're like, oh, I like it. And you get it and you're like, what the heck is this? You know what I mean? Like, this is not that. That was the picture. This is what idols do. They overpromise. They underdeliver. You're going to be disappointed. Number two, idols will dominate you. You're going to dominate. If you don't watch out, they're going to end up controlling your life. 1 Corinthians 12, 2 says, Remember how you were when you didn't know God, led from one phony God to another, never knowing what you were doing, just doing it, just like the Israelites, just because everybody else is doing it. I want it because they have it. You know the word we use a lot for idol today is addiction. You can be addicted to more than just like alcohol and drugs and stuff, you guys. You can be addicted to work. You can be addicted to sports. You can be addicted to a number of things. Eventually, just where those things just run your life, where you love something more than God. And the scripture says it leads you astray where you lose your perspective on life. The number one way to, to get back to restoring peace and coming back to this place is to dethrone the idols. Tear down your Asherah poles, the, the things that you've exchanged for the peace of God and the promises of God. Idols will, they're going to disappoint you. They're going to dominate you. Number three, idols will deform you. Like it will, they'll change you. They'll warp you. You're going to lose your uniqueness that God gave you because you become like whatever you worship most. Whatever you value most, you will become like Psalm 115 and 8 says, those who make idols will become like them. And so will those who trust in them. One time a rich young ruler came to Jesus. You all probably remember the story. He said, what must I do to follow you? What can I do? What must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says to this rich guy, he goes, hey, you want to follow me? Go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. Never, like, Jesus never did that. That was the only time in all scriptures that Jesus give that challenge to somebody who was asking to follow. You see other instances where he's just like, come on, come on, come on. But in this instance, he challenged him. And it seems like a drastic challenge. You know why? I believe, it doesn't say it, but I believe what Jesus was doing is he knew that he, the God that he had enthroned on his heart. And he said, you want to follow me? You already have a God. You better give that God up if you want to. And the Bible says that he counted the cost. This rich man, he counted the cost. He measured it. And he walked away sad. And he kept his riches and left Jesus. What do you need to give up? What is it that you're holding on to that's keeping you from being all that God wants you to be? What, what have you exchanged God's peace for? What have you exchanged God's promise for. I don't want to let go of this relationship. I know it's not right, pastor, but I'm not ready to let it go. 
I know this career isn't the right one. I know it's, I know it's like, I know I need to be with my family. I know I just, but I'm just not ready. I got I, I, I to make some more. I got I to. I know this habit isn't right. I know it's not, man, but, but God knows. And I'm not ready to let it go. It's an idol. It's an idol. If God tells you to give up something and you can't let it go, you don't own it, it owns you. Idols will distract you, dominate you, disappoint you, and eventually they'll destroy you. They'll destroy your peace. But listen, it's so important. Idols aren't defeated. They're defeated by not just being removed, but by being replaced. So the first thing these kings did, you want to restore peace. You want to come back to this place of peace, you guys. You've missed it. You don't even know where it went. The first thing you need to do is remove every idol in your life, every place that you've exchanged the promises and the peace of God by looking out here into this world. The second thing that you do is restore the word of God. If you're lacking peace, I'm telling you, if peace is left, it's because the word of God isn't present in your life and it needs to be restored to a place of, of devotion in your life. Every time that, that Israel and Judah was brought back to this place of peace by these good kings, they not only destroyed the, the idols and the false gods and the altars, but they restored the word of God and the covenant and the law back to Israel. Second Kings 22 tells us this. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the, the secretary, Shaphan, son of, I mean, all these names, Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, Manus, the temple, some of y'all, I'm sorry, some of you probably have your kids named that, my bad. Meshulam, uh, the temple of the Lord. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shepham, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. Here it was. It's got dust on it, but it's been hiding here in the temple. No one's come in the church and worship. No one's cracked open this book yet. It's still there in that place where we left it. Shepham, the secretary, informed the king. Hilkiah, the priest, was given the book. And Shephan read it from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He saw his, like, what they were promised and what they were doing. He saw the law of the covenant and what they were supposed to be doing and how they were living. If you want God's peace, you got to start practicing the word of God again. you got to restore the word of God to his place. Somewhere along the way, the word of God took a back seat. Maybe you just come into church, you hear it a little bit. You get, you get a little uh, YouTube devotion. You get a little Instagram scripture or something like that. If you want the perfect peace of God, you must restore the word of God to a place of devotion in your life. Look what Psalm 119, 165 says. Great peace have those who love your law. And not only this, look what he says. And nothing can make them stumble. And that's a promise of God in your life that I'll, be, I'll have peace if I like fall in love. Now, some of you don't like reading, I get it. I promise you this though, if you do it out of, out of discipline first, it will become devotion. If you do it out of discipline first, it will become devotion. Discipline yourself, come back to this place of peace, get rid of the idols, restore the word of God. Number three, remember who your God is. The Lord repeatedly told Israel to remember him. And he did it for a reason. Viewing any situation through the lens of who God is, of what he has done, his promises, it, it shrinks my problems. God is bigger than your circumstances. God is bigger than your problems. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat, who was one of the kings that brought peace, he did this as well. He was faced by this threat of a massive invasion by allied kings. And it says in 
Second Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? He's reminding himself of who God is in the face of his enemies. You rule over all the kingdoms of nations. Power and might They're in your hand, God. They don't belong to anybody else, not to my enemies, not to me. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. When you remember who God is and all he has done, it fortifies your heart and your mind against the most anxious thoughts that you're magnifying in your mind. You can relax because God is almighty. You can can chill out because God has all power. You don't have to worry because God has it. And then he says this, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do. You ever get that place? I mean, this is King Jehoshaphat. He's like, look, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. See, you don't don't have to always have it all figured out to have God's peace. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't know how this, this... problem's going to go away. You don't know how the challenge is going to be met. You don't know. You don't, and you don't have to know to have God's peace. He said, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I can't wrap my mind around it, but I got my eyes fixed on you because you are the beginning and the end. You have all power. You have all my, you have all the answers. I don't, God. I'm just going to fix my eyes on you and remember who you are. Hey, some of you have just, you've lost your peace. You don't know what you exchanged it for. And I, I think this is a good template, a good model on how to restore and come back to this place of of peace, that you would remove the idols in your life, that you would restore the word of God, a place of love and devotion again to your life, that that you would remember the God that you serve and you fix your eyes on him. And number four, to recommit to God. This is what every king did as they led their their people back to God to God as they led the people back to this place of, of peace. I know I gave you your last fill-in. Don't, don't check out on me just yet. Let me read you this last verse, an important verse, Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 and 15. He says this, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers that they worship beyond the river. And notice this, that Joshua specifically mentions the gods of Egypt. See, these were the gods of their previous generation, the gods of their past that that never really went away. See, the Hebrews were Egyptian slaves for longer than the United States has been a nation. And and while they were there, they picked up some false idols. They picked up some some bad habits, some false worship patterns. Those bad habits die hard. I don't know if you ever find yourself struggling against some things in your past. Come back to haunt you, things you thought you left behind a long time ago. Those things want your heart. Joshua says, throw away it for good and serve the Lord. But check it out. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose. It's your choice. You can choose to exchange it. You can choose. It's your choice. You can choose. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers like, who did your mom and dad worship, is what he said. Like, like did, your dad, did your dad worship sports and sex and beer and running? Or did your mom worship career or success or, or pleasure? Or it's most oftentimes we worship the same gods that our parents worship. We bow at the same idols that our parents bowed at. 
But then he gives us another option. Because you could also choose the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. It's what Israel did. The gods of the culture around you. The Israelites lived in a place of, of great diversity. There was always a diversity. There was a diversity of gods as well. And although we're not confronted with Baal and Ashtoreth, two of the primary gods in their culture, we have our own cultural gods. The cultural gods of pleasure and comfort. Success is a god. Busyness, work, it's a god. It's a false idol. Sex is a false god and an idol in our time. Success is, an, is a false god of our culture. I think our idols, they're hiding in plain sight. We don't got a statue that we bow down to, but they're there. And I think we've just become so used to them, so accustomed to them, that we've already exchanged the life of God and the promised land for the culture around us that we look no different than the culture. We, we look no different from the world. How we're living, what we look like, what we're chasing. Here's the other option that I'm encouraging you and Joshua is encouraging us to say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I mean, what are those, what have the other gods done for you? What have they done? But give you turmoil, pain. In making your choice, I would recommend you to ask yourself, what, what enduring value did the, did the God of success give you that you've been chasing your whole life? Did the God of money ever do for you? Did it really give you peace and fulfillment? Did the God of pleasure do that for you? Did the God of food? Uh-oh, don't go there, Pastor. Hold on. What to do? Choose, because you can make the choice. You don't have peace because you don't choose peace. I just think we don't know the exchanges that we've made. You don't. You love God. You love church even. You love Him. You love to worship. But you're missing peace. And, that, and the reason why is because you've exchanged it. Somewhere along the way, there was an idol. There was something you, you bought into. You looked around and you, you bought into it. And, and, and if you want to restore it, you got to dethrone whatever is on the throne of your heart. Can we pray together? Can we pray that together and just come back to peace with every head bow and eye closed in this place? Let's come back to the promises of God. Let's come back to His way and His word. Let's come back. Let's stop trying to look like them and do it like them. God has all power. He's got all might, all answers. He's got all peace. Oh, God, forgive us for exchanging your promises for lesser things. For getting so distracted by the world around us, the people around us, that in some ways I'm just not even set apart. I don't look different or think different. God, forgive me. Bring us back to this place of, of peace today, God. Some of you, with every head bowed and eye closed, it, when I say like recommit <laughs> and restore the word of God, some of you have never done that before, but it's the same steps. This same, same process is a process you can make for maybe the very first time to come to Christ today. Because some of you have never given your life to Christ. And in just a moment, I, I would love to pray for you. But in order to do that, just like this rich young man had to make a choice, that Jesus said, okay, you want to follow me? You got to dethrone whatever's on your heart. That money 
is your God and you need to give it up if I'm going to take that place. If you're here today and you know something else is on the throne of your heart, then it needs to be removed if you want to follow Jesus. And I hope today that you don't leave with the same idols enthroned on your heart, that you don't walk away dejected like that rich young ruler did, but that you would choose this day whom you will serve. The gods of the culture? The gods of your forefathers? Or will you serve the Lord? Some of you, I'd love to help you make that decision today to surrender the control of your life and give it to God. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. That's it. And I'm not going to have you come to the front or anything. I want to pray with you right where you are. If you are ready to make Jesus the Lord of your life, putting him on the throne, putting him where he belongs first, primary, God. 